entire chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is what Holy Scripture says. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect, neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please take your Bible again and open up to the passage that was read for us earlier, 1 Timothy chapter 4. This morning, we're going to be looking at verse 6 to verse 10. There are a lot of pastors in the world today, but not all of them are the same. As in our church, there are some tall pastors, and then there are some shorter pastors. That trick, I think you're one of the shorter ones, by the way. (laughs) There are a lot of pastors, but not all of them are the same. The reality is there are some bad pastors out there. These are the ones who are using their position to take advantage of people. They're domineering. They disregard the word, and they cherish sin in their hearts. There are also greedy pastors who are in the ministry for fame and fortune. All they talk about is money, and they use the name of God to guilt trip people into giving more so that they can continue to live a lavish lifestyle. Then there are some incompetent pastors who have pure motives but are unskilled in their preaching and leading. They mishandle the word of God and make poor decisions, and in the process, unfortunately, they end up hurting the church. There are also some distracted pastors 
who, who are passionate guys, but, but they're passionate about the wrong things. They're, they're passionate about so many things, yet they neglect matters of first importance. They're, they're more focused on politics and the events of the world rather than on the gospel and the soul of man. Then you have weird pastors, you have funny pastors, you have angry pastors, but by the grace of God, there are good pastors who love God and love his people. These are the men who have devoted their lives to being men of the word and men of godliness. In the overwhelming kindness and generosity of the Lord, we find ourselves today, as Paul mentioned, being given a precious gift in the form of a new pastor. Brother, I know how important this day is for you. Over the last year, we've talked a lot about this and you actually being in this position. Early on in your Christian life, the Lord placed in your heart a desire to be a shepherd of God's people. And this has been an aspiration of yours for many years and you've relentlessly pursued this with all diligence. You spent years studying hard and you completed, by God's grace, two master's degree. You wrote your final dissertation on the laying on of hands. And just moments ago, you experienced for yourself that which you spent months thinking and writing about. The elders of this church laid their hands on you to pray for you and charge you with the ministry of the word and a prayer. Praise the Lord. Praise God for how he's blessed you and how he's blessed our church through you. And now as you step into this next chapter of your life, serving Grace Fellowship Church as one of her pastors, all I want to do, brother, is encourage you from the word to simply be a good pastor. Be a good pastor. Now, even though I'm preaching this sermon for Patrick, everyone else should be paying very close attention because the things that are written in this passage and the things that I'm going to be preaching about this morning ought to shape the way that you both pray for your pastors as well as the way that you live your lives as believers. Over the years and especially over these last, uh, last few months, many of you have asked either in private or in public how you can be praying for your elders. First of all, thank you. Thank you for praying for us and loving us and caring for us in this way. I know that I can confidently speak on behalf of all the elders when I say we need your prayers. So please continue to pray for us. But as you remember us in our prayers, remember these words that Paul wrote to Timothy on how to be a good, servant-hearted pastor of the Lord. In a time when we're seeing so many men fail and fall apart in ministry, our desire as elders of Grace Fellowship Church is to just be faithful pastors until the very end. And we want to go all the way to the end and hear those words, well done, good, and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We want to live lives that are worthy of those words. So please continue to pray for Patrick and the rest of the elders using the words of this text. We cannot do this without the Lord's grace to be good pastors. But this passage shouldn't just shape the way that you pray for your leaders. It should also shape the way that you live your life since every Christian is called to be a good and faithful servant of the Lord. Yes, Paul may be writing to Timothy more specifically about pastoral ministry, but in one sense, what he is calling on Timothy to do is to exemplify what every Christian ought to be doing. 
So as you hear the word preached today, you should consider your own life and see if it aligns with the truths found in this text. Friends, there is a word for all of us to hear today. Now, I just recently heard of the old saying, mind your P's and Q's. Anybody, anybody heard that before? Mind your P's and Q's? Apparently, it's something of the older generation. Um, I was looking into it, and you can't know the exact origin or the meaning, which is all uncertain, but basically, it means mind your manners or be on your best behavior. It's something a mother or a father would tell their child, hey, if you want to be a good boy, mind your P's and Q's. So I'm not talking as a spiritual mother or father to you. This is from one brother to another, from one pastor to another pastor. Brother, if you want to be a good pastor, mind your F's and P's. Mind your F's and P's. I have three points that start with the letter F, and I have three points that start with the letter P. First F, F's and P's. There you go. Easy way to remember it. First point, feed the church with the word of God. Feed the church with the word of God. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. When Paul says these things, he's basically referring to all that's been written in this letter previous to this section. And you realize that what Paul writes as scripture are not his own words. Paul is an apostle of Christ who has been inspired by the Spirit of God to write the Word of God. And here he instructs Timothy to lay these divinely inspired truths before the people. He says, if you put these things, ultimately God's Word, before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul uses the word servant there, and, and one of the things that's meant to do is it's, it, you're, you're supposed to picture a waiter who goes around serving tables. As a waiter, make sure that people are taken care of, and, and what he does is he brings the food out and places it before the people to eat. And in the same way, as a pastor, you are to serve the people of God as a spiritual waiter by bringing God's word and faithfully placing it before them. The body of Christ the church will not be satisfied with eloquent speech, cute anecdotes, nice-sounding platitudes, worldly thoughts and ideas, humor and fun, fluffy preaching around the text. You know these things, that all of these things are temptations within the heart of a pastor. But if that is all the body of Christ is given to eat, then the church will be spiritually weak and dangerously malnourished. Brother, Feed the people of God with the word of God. Jesus, when he was in the, the wilderness, he quoted the Old Testament in Matthew 4, 4, and he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what this church needs now and always, and this is what you are called to do as a pastor set apart for the ministry of the word. A good pastor feeds the church with the word of God. So dedicate your entire ministry to making the word of God known to the people of God, just as Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep, feed a sheep with the word. But remember at the same time that you cannot put before the people what you don't have for yourself. So here's the second point, fuel your soul with the word of God. 
In verse six, Paul goes on and he says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. You can see here that, that Paul is concerned about the spiritual health of the church. In the previous chapters, he talks a lot about how to build a healthy church. But notice here that it's not divorced from the spiritual health of the minister. A good pastor not only feeds the church with the word of God, but he himself is constantly being trained in the gospel, the words of faith, and sound doctrine. The words being trained can also be translated being nourished. Brother, the people who know you know that you love to work out and you stay fit. This is a big part of your life. You like to talk a lot about it. And you've been doing it for years. So you know something about being physically fit. And you know that this doesn't only require you to regularly go to the gym, or in your case, the CrossFit gym. You also need to carefully watch your diet. And you need to make sure that you're eating the right stuff to nourish and fuel the body. If your body is not properly fed with the right food, your performance in the gym is going to suffer. And in the same way, if you want to be spiritually fit for the work of ministry, then you need to pay careful attention to your spiritual diet. Kids, who here likes candy? Hands up. Hands up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adults too, yeah? Do you know what will happen if you eat every single day and every single meal candy as your food? Does that sound amazing? Yeah? Sounds fantastic, right? Yes. <laughs> but I promise you that you won't feel very good for long. Do you know why? It's because your, 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 your body is going to be very weak and unhealthy because all of that sugary goodness that we love to eat is actually re realistically very bad for your body. It's probably why your parents call it junk food. I just realized. Sorry. I'm missing a page here. You need to fuel <laughs> your soul with the word of God. You need to watch your spiritual diet. So going back to spiritual diet, <laughs> you need to feed on God's word. Make sure that you yourself, you're being nourished and you're being fed by the truth of God's word. Now, what's interesting here is that the word being nourished is actually written in the present tense. And, and, and I point that out because what it means is the, the nourishing and the being trained here is something that is ongoing, which means that you need to be ongoing in being in the Word. Brother, there is something that can happen in a pastor's life where you move on to different things, where you move on to more pressing matters, where you move on to the needs of the life of the church, but you yourself need to be fueled by the gospel. You need to be close to Christ and you need to be in the word, and you need to study good doctrine and make sure that you yourself are fed in the word before you go and you feed others. So as you fuel your soul with the right spiritual food, you also realize that in order to maintain a healthy diet, you need to say yes to the right things, but you also need to say no to the wrong things. And that's where you get to the third point, which is to flee from all the spiritual junk of the world. And this is where we come back to the whole candy illustration. <laughs> if you, all you're doing is eating candy kids, then this will be unhealthy for you. 
It's a kind of spiritual junk food that tastes good, but is not good for the body. And in the same way, when it comes to what Paul talks about here as being these irreverent and silly myths, as you look in the next verse there, he says, have nothing to do with it. Have nothing to do with these irreverent and silly myths. Have you ever heard of the the term old wives' tales, right? That's what these myths are. They're old wives' tales. They're they're traditional beliefs that have no real basis in fact or in history. They're things that are concocted in the the minds of of people, and they have no basis in truth. And, And Paul is looking at Timothy, and he's saying, have nothing to do with it. These kinds of irreverent and silly myths have been around all throughout the history of the church. But we're living in a unique day and age where the speed by which this information spreads is unprecedented. People's opinions and subjective thoughts on anything and everything can be found all over the internet, and there are thousands and millions of people who eat this stuff up every single day, and you can see just how detrimental it is to the soul of a human being. A good pastor is someone who concerns himself in matters of truth, not fables. So, brother, as you step into this ministry, don't become distracted by all of the godless and trivial ideas of the day. You need to mind your Fs. You need to feed the sheep. You need to fuel the soul, and you need to flee from all the silly nonsense that is out there. But as you're minding your Fs, you also need to mind your Ps. So here's point number four. First P, practice godliness. Paul goes on in verse seven and he says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. What Paul does here is he uses the metaphor of an athlete to make his point. Just as an athlete trains for the purpose of winning the prize, you as a pastor are to train for the purpose of being godly. Verse 8 again, train yourself for godliness. Now, before we go any further, we should first ask the question, what is godliness? The, The word godliness is used something like 16 times in the New Testament, and nine times Paul uses it in these pastoral epistles. So godliness is a big theme when it comes to pastoral ministry. Now, godliness can be defined as piety to God, living a holy life that is rooted in Scripture. All of that's very true, and it's a good definition. But I want you to take your Bible and turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Just look a few verses back, and notice what Paul says about godliness. He says there in chapter 3, verse 16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Question, who is Paul talking about here? Look look at the text and look at the person that is described. Who is the he in this passage? The one who was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on the world, taken up into glory. It's clearly referring to Jesus. 
So basically, what Paul is doing here is he's saying that godliness was a mystery, meaning this was something that was hidden in the past, but it's now being revealed, it's being manifested, not in a lecture or in a body of teaching, but in the person of Jesus Christ himself. So in other words, Jesus is the very essence of godliness. If you want to be godly, it means being like Christ. A good pastor is a godly pastor. He is the one who is like the Son of God. Afterwards, godliness is God-likeness. But you need to realize that godliness doesn't just happen on its own. You don't, you don't just, nobody just wakes up one morning and says, oh, I'm godly. If you want to be super fit, super strong, and super healthy, it requires that you, you know this, you put in some major effort. You need to be deliberate and change the way you eat. You need to get out of bed and into the gym regularly and consistently, pushing yourself hard and training hard. And, and the same is true for godliness. It requires effort. It requires change. It requires intentionality. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, train yourself for godliness. The, the word train is interesting. Based on the original Greek word, it's where we actually get the word gymnasium or gymnastics. The, the, the picture that comes to mind is something like Coach Paul, the Apostle Paul, instructing young Timothy to go and do some spiritual gymnastics in order to grow in godliness. Brother, it's not enough just to know the Bible, and it's not enough just to teach the Bible. You must also live what the Bible says. Refrain from sin. Practice the things that you know to be true from God's Word. You need to grow in your faith in God. You need to increase in your love for others, this church. You need to work at your preaching diligently. You need to persist in your prayers. You need to serve with all of your heart. You need to evangelize with boldness and love. Godliness will not come naturally, and it will not come easily. It requires training. Now, this doesn't mean that you stop going to the gym and doing your CrossFit workouts. By all means, keep doing those things. Eventually, you're going to have to learn to get up those stairs to our office without losing your breath. After all, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, bodily training is of some value. We, we, we love this little verse here, right? It justifies our gym membership that half of us don't even use. There are real benefits to training your body. But at the same time, it's important to remember that all of the benefits of your physical training expire in the grave. You cannot take your muscles or your one rep max deadlift weight with you into glory. None of that matters in eternity. What Paul is saying here is that the value of bodily training begins and it ends in this life. But Paul goes on to say, look at verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is a value in every way. Why? As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Practicing godliness and seeking to be like Christ brings both pleasant, present blessings and eternal rewards. It is valuable in every way. Godliness is a joy to your soul. Godliness is a blessing to your family. Godliness is a ministry to your church. Godliness is loving to your neighbors. Godliness is pleasing to the Father. And it's how you store up treasures in heaven that will never be destroyed and never expired. 
Verse nine, Paul says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He's talking about godliness being valuable in every way. It is trustworthy and it is deserving of your full acceptance. Paul and his fellow missionaries believed this so much that they pushed themselves hard every single day to be godly and their lives are an example for you and I to follow. So here's point number five, your second P, push yourself hard. And that's all I want to say at this point. Push yourself hard. If you look at verse 10, Paul goes on and he says, for to this end, the end of godliness, we toil and strive. The, the, the words toil and strive should be familiar to you. They're, they're, they're words that Paul often uses in his letters to describe his work ethic. The, the words carry a sense of hard work, meaning they had true grit. Ministry was strenuous, yet they pushed hard and they persevered. Now, I'm saying all of this recognizing that we could obviously take this way too far in such a way that is unbiblical, unhealthy, and unhelpful. We know this, that burnout is real. Rest is crucial. It is wise and good to slow down and get away at times to rest, recharge, and rejuvenate because that is good for the church. But I'm also concerned that, brother, we live in a generation where we have overcompensated too far in the other way, where we have begun to resist any kind of hard work convincing ourselves that it's not good for us. And I'm afraid that at the heart of it, it's because our generation idolizes ease, comfort, and rest. This is not what marked the ministry of the apostle. And it's not what marked the ministry of Christ. Jesus once told one of his disciples in Matthew 8, 20, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In the context, he's talking about how there is a cost to following Jesus. He is not calling you or any of us into a comfortable and easy life. Rather, the example that we're given both in Christ and the Apostle Paul is to work hard. Brother, good pastors aren't lazy. Good pastors, they put their hands to the plow, they push, and they persevere in working hard. This is what characterized the ministry of the Apostle Paul and his work ethic. He toiled and labored but in case we understand this in the wrong way, we also need to keep in mind what he said in Colossians 1.29. Listen, he, he said this, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Yes, Paul toiled and labored. Yes, he worked hard. Yes, he put his hands to the plow and sometimes he worked day and night, but he didn't do this in his own strength. He did it with the energy that Christ provided. I'm sure you know this too, and I'm sure you're convinced of this, that stepping into pastoral ministry isn't going to be an easy life. There are joys, but there are also sorrows. There are times where things will go smoothly and times where things are challenging. But Jesus is your source of strength, and you need to stay close to him you need to abide in Christ. You need to tap into that energy that he provides, and then you need to push yourself hard to be a good and godly pastor. Paul knew that laboring hard in this way was worth it, not only because godliness is a value in every way, 
but also because he knew that God was truly able to save souls from eternal death. So here's my last P, probably the most important. Put your hope in God alone. Look at verse 10 again. Paul ends this section by saying, for to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope, because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. I think there is something that can happen in the heart of a pastor where he subtly begins to develop a kind of Savior complex. And that makes sense when people are looking to you and they're sharing their burdens with you and they're seeking counsel and direction from you. But brother, the great liberating truth is that we as elders don't need to be the Savior of our family. We don't need to be the Savior of our church. We don't need to be the Savior of our neighbors. And that's because there is a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel came to Joseph and said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Christ, God is with us. Jesus is the true Son of God who is the Savior of the world, and our responsibility as pastors is not to be the Savior, but to point people to the Savior. I mean, notice what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.10 about his hope being in the living God. And that means our hope isn't in a Savior who once had his glory days but is now dead and powerless in the grave. Our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the grave. That means he is still alive today, he is still the Savior, and he is still mighty to save. So brother, let's leave the saving work to Jesus. As much as you work out, your shoulders are not strong and broad enough to carry the work of salvation. But Jesus Christ has strong and broad shoulders, and he says to you and I, come, come, and find our rest in him, because he is sufficient to do what you and I can never do. So let's leave the saving work to Christ. Salvation is the work of God alone, but in his sovereignty, he uses means. He uses his people to accomplish his purposes, so as a pastor called to shepherd the flock of God, devote your life to being a man of the word and a man of godliness. As you enter into pastoral ministry, mind your F's and P's. Feed the sheep, fuel your soul, flee from silliness, practice godliness, push yourself hard, and put your hope in the one true living Savior. Brother, you and I are two relatively young associate pastors who, Lord willing, have many years ahead of us to serve the Lord. We've seen far too many men fail and leave the ministry. May that never happen to us. Brother, let's you and I resolve before the Lord to be good pastors until the end. May God give us and all of the elders the grace to be good pastors.
Let's make it to the end. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we long to hear those words, every single one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Lord, may we all live worthy to hear those words. And I want to pray specifically for the elders of this church. Lord, please help us to be good pastors until the very end. May Patrick, myself, and all the elders here run their race faithfully by the strength that you provide. Lord, we know that there is a spiritual enemy that is out there to get us. But our hope is in you. Lord, you are faithful. You will establish your people. You will protect your people from the evil one. You will, in your faithfulness, enable all of us to live lives of obedience now and until the day that you call us home. So, Lord, our hope is in you. May you direct our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who endured to the very end of his life and is now reigning supremely on the throne. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.